Welcome to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, where we discuss scientific research in simple and exciting ways that is applicable to everyone. I'm Ben Rasmussen. And I'm McKay Heaton. And we are your hosts. Welcome back to Noggin, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about spirituality versus religiosity. We're not necessarily pitting the two against each other, but we're just going to be talking about what is the difference between spirituality and religiosity? What are the different benefits experienced from cultivating religiosity versus spirituality? And also, how do they overlap? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so I thought it'd be a good idea to start off with some definitions because there are a lot of overlap in people's minds about spirituality and religiosity. In the research world, spirituality is defined as the search for the sacred. And on the other hand, religion is similar in the sense that it is the search for the sacred, but it is in the context of an institution or organization. So when we say spirituality, that is the practice of prayer or the reading of sacred texts and scriptures and trying to draw closer to God. And religion is the institution by which many people cultivate that spirituality. So you can be religious without being spiritual and vice versa. If someone belongs to a particular religious organization, maybe they even keep some of the traditions of that religion, but they aren't personally seeking the sacred, they may not identify as a spiritual person. It might just be a a cultural thing. They were raised in a certain religion, but they don't necessarily believe it. It doesn't give meaning to their life. They just identify with that religion. Similarly, if someone searches for the sacred, they try to communicate with and form a relationship with their higher power, but they don't belong to a particular religion, they might say that they are spiritual, but not religious. So it's important to understand the difference between these two things because the benefits, although there's a lot of overlap, they are different. And by focusing on each of these things as individual things rather than one thing, you can reap the benefits that both of these practices have to offer. So with that in mind, we wanted to have a little reflection time for everyone listening. Are you a religious person? Are you a spiritual person? Are you both? How do your spirituality and religiosity overlap? Or are they totally separate? How is your personal search for the sacred different from your collective search through your religion? Really thinking about these questions can help you decide how to best move forward with your own spiritual and religious pursuits and how that can best benefit your life. Maybe you have had a bad experience with religion, and so that has turned you away from any sacred search. So maybe you try to cultivate your own personal spirituality separate from any institution or organization. Maybe you're on the other side of things. You have been trying to cultivate your own personal spirituality and you want more community support from others who have similar beliefs to yours, or you want to hear other perspectives, and so engaging more with religion will help you on your spiritual journey. So wherever you find yourself on the religious and spiritual spectrums, this research could help you improve the quality of your life. So with that introduction, we have a couple research papers that we're going to be talking about today. McKay, do you want to start us off with the first research paper? I sure do. Thanks, Ben. The title of the paper that I'm going to talk about today is Religiosity and Life Satisfaction Across the Life Course. It's published in Social Indicators Research, and it was published in 1999 by Peacock and Paloma. Those are the two last names of the authors. This article is a correlational article. So if you haven't listened to Fiction Revisited, you should go listen to that. <laughs> Brush up on your correlation and causation. And, and remember, mitochondria. <laughs> yeah, remember, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Just remember that. You'll, you know, when, when you are tested on that someday in college or high school biology, you're going to thank us. So... <laughs> Anyways, so yes, this was a correlational study. So they looked at people who were surveyed 
and then they drew correlations from their answers. So this is not causational, it is correlational. So the authors used the information gathered in the Gallup poll from 1988 to assess the relationship between life satisfaction and religiosity. So they were wondering, if you are religious, are you more satisfied with life? That was their question. They had 1,030 randomly sampled participants from this Gallup poll in America, and they divided the participants into seven different groups based on age. So the age range was 18 to 98. So the age groups were roughly split up about every 10 years, like 18 to 25, 26 to 35, 36 to 45, etc. And with these 1,000 participants, they were asked about life satisfaction, and they measured life satisfaction by asking, using any number on this card from 1 to 7, with 1 being very dissatisfied and 7 being very satisfied, how dissatisfied or satisfied are you with your life? So whatever number they put, they took note of that. And then they measured religiosity by asking, do you happen to be a member of a church or synagogue? Yes or no. Did you attend church or synagogue in the last seven days? Yes or no. That was one measure. They also measured the relationship with God by asking, where on a scale from one to seven, one being very distant and seven being very close, would you describe your relationship with God? They also asked, how often have you experienced the following during prayer? And then they have a bunch of different things like felt divinely inspired or led by God to perform some action, received what you believed to be deeper insight into spiritual or biblical truth, received what you regarded as a definite answer to a specific prayer or request, felt the strong presence of God, experienced a deep sense of peace and well-being. They asked how often they had experienced any of those things, and they could have answered never, once, twice, occasionally, or regularly. So that's how they measured religiosity slash spirituality in this specific study. So let's talk about what these authors found. The main basic finding was that there is a positive relationship that exists between life satisfaction and religiosity. So what that means is that as religiosity increases, so does life satisfaction. And they don't necessarily give a direction to this. They can't specifically say, like, religiosity causes someone to be happy or someone who's happy is more religious. There's no directionality with this correlation. Another interesting thing the authors found is that the participants' feeling of how close they are to God is more important in their life satisfaction than colloquial prayer, meditative prayer, and church attendance. So closeness to God seemed to be more important in life satisfaction than those other things, which is interesting to note. Yeah, it's interesting that their closeness to God, which is just their relationship with God, whatever that looked like for them, was more important than whether they went to church or praying or just kind of these outward expressions of that belief. So it kind of seems like the inward belief was more important for their life satisfaction than the outward expression of that belief. Yeah, in this study, the inward, your relationship with God seemed to be more important than those other things, more mm. predictive of your life satisfaction. Mm. That's interesting. That's a little bit of a spoiler. That totally lines up with the paper I'm going to talk about next. 
so yeah, that's what my study found. And I think that's pretty significant. I'd love to hear what yours found, Ben. And then we could talk about, you know, what we learned and our takeaways. Yeah. So my research paper, like I said, it has a very similar finding to what McKay's had, but is slightly different. So the paper is called Divine Relations, Social Relations, and Well-Being. It was published in the Journal of Health and Social Behavior in 1989. So it is a little bit dated. Both of these articles are a little bit dated. That is one limitation of both of these articles that should be mentioned. So researchers took data from the General Social Survey from 1983 and 1984. Uh, It was between 2,000 and 3,000-ish people. So the way that they collected this data was a little bit of a different sampling method than we generally see. And so for some of the different variables that they were measuring, there were different amounts of people in each one. But they ranged from about 2,000 to 3,000. So respondents were asked a series of questions about different constructs that they were trying to get at. So these different areas of their life concerning spirituality and also well-being that they were trying to get at. Relation to a divine other was measured by the responses to three questions. How close do you feel to God most of the time? Would you say extremely close, somewhat close, not very close, or not close at all? About how often do you pray? And then how often have you felt as though you were very close to a powerful spiritual force that seemed to lift you out of yourself? So those are some examples of the questions that they asked. Participants were also asked about some other ways they perceived the divine. They were also asked about their general well-being, so their general happiness, their marital happiness, their life excitement, their stress, and their social interaction. So these researchers asked them all of these different types of questions to try and assess their general well-being in these different ways and also their spirituality in these different ways. So how much they prayed, how close they felt to God, how they perceived the divine. So they asked them about different metaphors and different ways to perceive the divine. There was a lot, so I won't go through all those. But what they found was really interesting. They found that a relationship with the divine had the strongest correlation with three of the four well-being measures. So similar to what McKay found, the strongest correlation with well-being, for the most part, was a relationship with the divine. So divine relation had a stronger correlation with general well-being than race, sex, income, age, marital status, and church attendance, which are generally strong predictors of well-being. Once again, that relationship with the divine, which is pretty much what they found in McKay's study as well, had a stronger correlation with general well-being than race, sex, income, age, marital status, and church attendance. The researchers concluded that divine relations can foster healthy-mindedness, which is a term coined by William James, who is a very prominent psychologist in the history of psychology, and can impact so many different areas of life because of the positive mindset that divine relations can give. So that was the researcher's conclusion, is that by trying to foster a close relationship with the sacred, the divine, with your higher power, This will give you a more positive outlook on life and will set you up to better cope with stressors. It will set you up to have better relationships, a better marriage, and overall you will be much more well off in your life because of that positive mindset that this relationship that you're fostering with your higher power can give you. That's super interesting that these studies both came to similar conclusions with different words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like we kind of mentioned, there is a lot of overlap in the religiosity spirituality realm. These studies were kind of very similar in what they were trying to get at and the questions they asked and very similar in their conclusions. So some other studies we wanted to share, and these come from, I mentioned a couple episodes ago in our prayer episode that there's a book called The How of Happiness by Sonia Lubomirsky. And she talks about the benefits of religion and the benefits of spirituality and how those are similar and how those are different. 
And some of the studies mentioned in there found that as far as religion goes, when you try and parse out or separate the benefits of religion and spirituality, the benefits for religion itself, the organization, going to church, having a community, things like that, you find that the benefits of religion include things like having a community of people who support you. Generally, in church organizations and things like that, you get to know a lot of people and you're friends with those people and you are obviously going there to worship together. So there is kind of this camaraderie of people who think in similar ways that you do when it comes to things that are very important to you, like religion. And also, generally speaking, religions teach good moral values and principles. So people who are religious, subscribe to a certain religion, tends to have better marriages, tends to drink less alcohol, do less drugs, and eat healthier, things like that. Just good, healthy living is promoted by religion. And so when you look at just the benefits of religion by itself, those are the types of things you find. Whereas the benefits of spirituality, like having a relationship with the divine, impacts your well-being in a positive way. So those are kind of some things that other studies have found as well. What are your thoughts on that, Mikhail? You have some other things to share too? Yeah, I was just going to say that religiosity and like going to a specific church also provide you with opportunities to serve, which is pro-social behavior is definitely oh, yeah. a predictor in life satisfaction and happiness. There's also your relationships with others, deep connection, deep social connection is also a predictor of life satisfaction, which, you know, religiosity can provide. So there's benefits to both in different ways, which is pretty much what you were saying. But I just like to mention a couple of things that I read in a couple other studies while I was researching and reading that were interesting to me, that being religious significantly reduced the likelihood of someone dying six months after open-heart surgery. Hmm, that's really interesting. Yeah, it even has a physical effect, yeah. which is mind-blowingly <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> that's one thing that that reminds me of is in my positive psychology class I took a few years ago, one of the units we talked about was meaning and purpose. And so that's another thing that religion can definitely give and spirituality as well is meaning and purpose. And when people have meaning and purpose, they generally live longer and have better lives. And so the fact that they were less likely to die after having open heart surgery because they were religious makes sense in the context of that probably gave them that meaning and purpose. And so they were better off physically because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted to keep living because of that Yeah, purpose. for sure. So another study found that Mexican-Americans, so that was their specific group, showed that religious involvement reduced symptoms of major depressive disorder. So if you had major depressive disorder and you're Mexican-American and you went to church, you actually experienced less symptoms than if you did not go to church, hmm. which is a specific group. So take it for what it is. It's a specific group. Maybe it's generalizable. Maybe it's not. Don't mm -hmm. know. But yeah. It's an interesting finding to note, like, hey, maybe yeah, if you sure. have major depressive disorder, maybe religious involvement is something for you to try. Another study also found that African-Americans who are religious show less psychological stress and a reduced risk of major depressive disorder. Hmm. So slightly different than the Mexican-Americans, they showed a reduced risk of, so not necessarily less major depressive disorder, but less mm. risk for getting it. Yeah. Or, or developing it, and then also less psychological stress, which is, I mean, 
I don't know about you, but I want a lot less psychological <laughs> stress, especially on the weekdays, especially when concrete pumping is crazy. <laughs> because yeah, it sense. causes much psychological <laughs> stress. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of our prayer episode. We talked about that paper of African-American women who pray. And mm-hmm. prayer was significantly related to less stress on their heart from racist experiences. So that kind of yeah. reminds me of that as well, that meaning and purpose, having that religious outlet, that religious relationship. Can actually decrease those physical mm-hmm. symptoms of whatever. Yeah, and this is psychological stress, but I mean, reminded me of that. Yeah, that prayer paper was, mm-hmm. you know, cardiovascular stress. Right. So yeah. still cool. I mean, a, a bunch of cool findings from religiosity and spirituality. So one thing before we actually get to the takeaways I wanted to talk about is, like McKay mentioned, these are just correlations. And I kind of thought it would be a good idea. Maybe just this is my statistics nerdness coming out a little bit. But but I accept that and I welcome it. Um, So why can they not draw causality? Why can't they say that one thing causes another here? And once again, it's because they're just correlations. These things are just associated. They didn't randomly assign these people to any sort of group and tell them, okay, join this religion, and then you over here don't join a religion. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do that yeah, with it's hard religion to do that. and spirituality. So in the social sciences, in psychology, especially in social psychology, a lot of research questions are really tough to get at because you can't randomly assign people to do things. Or you can't randomly assign someone to believe in Protestantism. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You could, you could randomly assign a person to go to a, a certain church for a while, but you couldn't randomly assign them to believe in that religion or to not believe in a certain religion. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's kind of, it's similar with an area of research is pornography. You can't randomly assign someone who's never watched pornography to watch pornography or to not watch pornography. That is unethical. And so a lot of these <laughs> articles that we talk about, they're just correlations because it's difficult to establish causality in a lot of these questions. So if you were wondering why these are just correlations, they couldn't say that one thing caused another. That's why. It's because you can't randomly assign someone to believe something and you can't manipulate that variable and have a control group and things like that. So yeah. that was just an aside, aside over. A side <laughs> note. No, that's okay. That's a good thing to add. I was thinking about the same thing. And if you have any ideas of how to measure this using an experimental design <laughs> you should just quickly get your phd in <laughs> spirituality and like religious studies or something like that and perform a couple experiments you'll yeah. be loved well and there are like since there are so many questions that we can't experimentally manipulate and we can't randomly assign people to treatment groups for these questions there are ways that take years that we can establish causality, like the pornography thing. People are working on trying to see what pornography causes and things like that, because most of the research you read on pornography, spoiler alert, it's just correlations. So it takes years. One of the ways to do it is with meta-analyses. So whenever we talk about meta-analyses, you're like, okay, great, another meta-analysis. That's not super exciting. It is actually exciting. <laughs> to, just to you, to Ben. Me, at least. Just to Ben. <laughs> it's exciting because that is one of the main ways that you can establish causality when you can't do experimental manipulation is you need to show with lots of studies over a long period of time that this effect happens. Anyways, I'm done. Putting <laughs> it into practice. Box. Put the soapbox away, Ben. <laughs> We're done. We're done. So... We've listened to this for one minute too long. If you have it at 1.5 speed, this will be helpful. It'll sound like chipmunks talking about this and laughing, and you won't have to listen to us for as long. So I apologize for anyone's ears. But anyways, so reading this research was really interesting for me, and I really enjoyed it a lot because, like I said at the beginning, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, there's some area that you can work on 
that will help benefit your life. So whether you are totally turned off from religion because of a bad experience you had, or you are a spiritual person seeking religion or whatever it is, there is a way that you can help improve your life through spirituality and or religion. And so it can be very beneficial to understand where you stand with spirituality and religion as these two separate constructs. If you're a person who overlaps the two, that's totally fine. But assessing how you're doing in each of these areas can be very beneficial. For example, if you're a religious and a spiritual person, it can be meaningful to ask yourself, how am I doing with my personal search for the divine outside of my church attendance? So maybe you're going to church every week and you're doing everything the church says you're supposed to, but how are you doing with your own personal search for the divine? Similarly, you can ask yourself, how am I doing as a contributor to my church community? So if you're really good at your own personal search for the divine, if you feel like you have a really strong relationship with your higher power and you're also a religious person, you can kind of ask yourself, how am I doing? How well am I serving others? How well am I contributing? And how am I doing with my relationships at church? So wherever you fall on the spectrum, the search for the divine, however that looks for you, can add well-being to your life. That was kind of my main takeaway is whatever it looks like for you, just adding a little bit of spirituality or religiosity or If you already feel like you're a spiritual or religious person, just kind of reassessing how am I doing in both of these areas can really benefit you. Yeah, my takeaway was, I mean, it was almost the same thing as Miss Sonia Lubomirsky. What was her name again? (laughs) Sonia Lubomirsky. Yes. So her, in her book, she says, hey, spend five minutes a day being religious or or being spiritual. Yeah, just like spend five minutes with God. So whether that's like five minutes in prayer or whatever that is, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I like that idea of just like five minutes a day. And I like the idea of spending that with God because in both of these studies, it found that like closeness to God or your relationship with the divine was a significant predictor in happiness. And so if you take time to nurture that relationship with God, then it seems based on correlational research that you're going to be happier. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was like, okay, you know, obviously, I'm incredibly biased. I go to Brigham Young University, a church-funded school. Just, you know, it's, I'm, I'm incredibly biased, and I get that. I believe that going to church is important. I believe that being spiritual is important. I think both of them are important. But what I thought about was, okay, as I do these religious things, because I do very many religious things. I go to church weekly. I participate in service activities throughout the week. I participate in activities throughout the week that are all church-oriented and sponsored, right? And so I'm obviously biased, but I thought, okay, I do all these things. When I do these things, am I focusing on my relationship with God as I do them? I don't know. Lots of times, probably not. But I want to do what Miss Sonia, <laughs> don't, can't say her last name, <laughs> yeah. what she says. And it's like, okay, spend some time with God every day, five minutes, 15 mm-hmm. minutes, whatever. I want to focus a little bit more on like my relationship with God, but I'm obviously I'm still going to go to church and I'm still going to reap the rewards of social connection and yeah. service and belonging to a group because those are all things that come from religiosity that I want. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to try to do both a little bit better where it's like when I go to church, I'm going to focus on connection with others, serving others. And when I'm, you know, five minutes, I'm going to take five minutes a day and develop my relationship mm-hmm. with God. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it. Having a holistic approach is really good. So if you're going to these church activities and you're thinking, oh man, I'm not really focusing on my relationship with God right now, that's okay because socializing with others and building those relationships and things like that are totally awesome as well. So it's really good to take it as 
one big hole and assess it that way. That's really good. I like that. So thanks again for joining us today. We hope that this has been a meaningful episode for you, that you've been able to assess where you fall on these spectrums of spirituality and religiosity and what it is you can do personally to impact your life for the better, whether that's being more spiritual or being more religious or just kind of reassessing how you're doing at both of those things or one or one of the other of those things. Whatever it is, we hope that this has been beneficial for you. been listening to noggin the simple psychology podcast thank you for listening to our show we really appreciate it we have shared with you only a few articles of the thousands that have been published on this subject though we wish we could go more in depth we hope you've enjoyed our introduction and interpretation of this topic we don't claim to know everything but we have shared with you our takeaways from reading this research i'm mckay and i'm ben and we hope you have a great rest of your day Thank you.